You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hello! Welcome to All the Things, where we talk about God, life, the Bible, all the things. I am Monique Dusan, and I am here with Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. We've already, you know, solidified this in our knowledge book. She is known everywhere as Theology Mom. Theologymom.com, Twitter, you know. All the places. All the places. Yes. How are you? Good. Happy May the 4th. Happy May the 4th to you too. May the 4th. May. I don't know. This is live television. Yeah. May the 4th be with you. Yes. Oh. Well. That's interesting. Don't Do you know, know what that holiday is? I feel like we've lost all control. I don't know what is happening at Well, you're the host. Or, you know, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what, what, what happened. That was some production value right there. Well, there's that. That's what that was. So I have a friend and he posts, may the first be with you. May the second be with you. May the third be with you. So it's from uh, Star Wars, your favorite movie. Yes. It's sort of a pun. May the force be with you. Oh. May the fourth. It's Star Wars Day. Oh. And I only know this because I live in a house full of Star Wars nerds. That's right. Oh, yes. And I have only seen Star Wars one time and it has been within the last two months. <laughs> I Since living really here, pretty yes. much. <laughs> I don't really get the whole Star Wars thing. But, you know, that's okay. That's, that's okay. okay. So may the she, force be with you as well. Yeah, you've never okay. seen, you never saw Star Wars before that? No. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. I never really saw the need to. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen. I haven't seen The Sound of Music, Star Wars. Well, Mary I, Poppins. Mary Poppins, I saw. I saw that. The first one? No, no. No, I haven't seen that. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Cultural literacy, my friend. Have you... <laughs> You know, there's a whole bunch of things that, <laughs> that I would... You could really you know, go after me on. Yes, but that's okay. okay. We'll digress. Uh, hey, you know what else we were talking about today? What? Perms. perms. Talking about cultural literacy. Yes. So, you said you permed your hair when you were little, and I was... Well, in the 80s, when I was in high school. Okay, so when I was little, um, <laughs> I thought, wow... There's a big difference between what you would do for a perm, as Abby stated, and Abby, is, who Abby, who is running our chat box, our 16 year old. We love her. Please keep the chat box clean. But there is a chat box. And please, please, please um, use it. R- yeah, use it. Put your questions in there. Anyway, back to perms. Abby stated out that perms make your hair curly. And I was like, not for me. Perms make my hair straight. See, this is all very mysterious to me because earlier you had a hair pick. I said, oh, I had one just like this in high school. And I didn't understand why. Yeah, because I had perms. And so I would every four months, I would go like get 100 rods in my head and and they'd pour chemicals on there and make my hair, my straight hair curly. See, and once every six to eight weeks or so, I would go to the shop and have relaxer, which is also, um, well, we call it the creamy crack, <laughs> but it's lye. Or now you have like no lye-based relaxers or perms. 
but the, it relaxes your hair. It makes it straight. Straight. Yeah. So and does the perms in, in for black hair do the opposite? It's the opposite because we and I will speak for myself, not trying to group all of us together. But my hair, I feel like sometimes it's really stressed. It's like, whoa, here I am. It's tight and it's curly. And sometimes I just wanted to relax. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I get a little perm. But I don't get perms anymore. I'm just going to embrace how God has my hair coming out of my scalp. <laughs> I, I love your curly hair. Thanks. I love it too, you know, every third day or so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough about all of that. We are going to talk about what we're talking about today. Um, last week, we talked briefly about the fact that we were going to go to black church. Oh, yes. We went to black church. Yes. Now, black church is not like some different denomination or, you know, <laughs> yes. anything like that. It's no. just a church predominantly filled with African-American people. Right. Now, there were also Caucasians there. So There were it, three of us. Yes, there were. Yes. There were four of you. Yeah, include Craig. But your boss was there. Yeah. Yes. And I had to go for work. And I was really excited because I hadn't been to an all-black church since, like, I was probably 10. Oh. And then I took a big chunk of time where I wasn't in a predominantly African-American church and then in college, met a friend and her grandfather was the pastor of an all-black church. And so there was some time there. But you had never been nope. to an all-black church. It was my first time. I was a black wow. church virgin. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was going to use that, but I'm glad you didn't. Not me. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So what are your thoughts? What was your experience? Well, it's definitely like there were some little cultural nuances that I noticed, just probably because it was my first time. Like? Well, um... When you leave your seat, like if you have to leave to maybe go potty in the middle of the service, you have to hold up one finger like this and put your head down and you walk out. Yes. It's like the walk of shame, I guess. I don't know what we're doing there. It's but... like the walk of shame in front of Jesus. Okay. Yes. So, and I will give, I, for what I know, it's like saying, excuse me. But ever since I was like two, three years old, my grandmother would tell me, put your finger up. This is what you do. And so you put your finger up in order to walk out. Yes. What else did you notice? Uh, well, you didn't let me chew gum in church. I wanted to get out some gum. And then you just, you, I got the look. I, yes. I got the look like my mother used to give me when I was 10. And she told me that chewing gum was like smoking in church. You, you gave me the look. So glad I put away was, my great yes. gum. Yeah, no, you don't chew gum in church unless you're like 65 or older. Because I saw some older ladies in there chewing gum. So they I thought I want to be hip. No, oh, no, okay. no. Uh, not sure. With the little nursing hat and the gloves will come by and yes, you put your gum in their glove. Okay, That's so happens. let's talk about the ushers. So last week happened to be Youth Sunday. Mm-hmm. So the ushers were a couple of teenage boys. And that was something else I noticed that they stood in the front and then they looked and at the congregation the whole time. And they stood there with their hands behind their backs. I couldn't figure out what they were doing. I didn't know if they were security officers or what was happening. And then you told me they were ushers only. You don't say the word usher. You say the word ursher. And even the guy who was doing the worship leading said the word ursher. And I was like, okay, so how do you spell that? And yeah, that was fun. So an usher. um, AKA ursher. Yes, a.k.a. Ursher. Usually when you're from the South, I am thinking that the guy speaking might have been from the South. Okay. But they stand there in case you need like a fan, because in case you didn't notice, we didn't turn. There was no air conditioning. And I'm not saying that every black church is like this, but in this one, which is a lot like how I grew up, you know, until about 10, there was no air conditioning. They give you a little fan. The fan has 
the name of a funeral home on it. I am not lying. <laughs> Has a little funeral home on it. This funeral home was one that I know well because it was one I had been to before. I was In fact, yeah. we took a picture of it. There it is. There it is. <laughs> so it was it had been used before. Yes. But here's a picture of us actually using the fan. It's yeah. an action shot. Yeah. Of us in church. I was trying to low key get a, a selfie with and I between right after this I got the look again of yes. don't be taking selfies in church. No. No. That's disrespectful. Yeah. So, well, so. What, one of the things I did notice though is in all seriousness is that there was a kind of a dearth of people our age. Like dearth is a good word. <laughs> there was uh we were sparse. We were sparse. Um that it, it was may I suggest maybe the 65 and older crowd. It, it predominantly. Now, there were a couple of people there that maybe were in our age range. I think they had five kids in the youth group. Uh two of them I think were the worship leaders kids. But for the most part, the church was on the older end of the spectrum, which kind of made me wonder what was happening there. Because it was about, a, I think, 70 or so people, 70 to 100 people there. So I was just curious, like, did, if you had any thoughts about that. I think that church in particular was just that church. Um, I do find, especially like in your smaller um, black churches where it is older people. Um, I'm thinking of like a Faithful Central though, or um, West Angeles where they have a pretty good size youth group or um, pretty good size, I, I would say intergenerational situation happening within their church or congregation. But you do bring up a good point because there is a higher rate of millennials within the black church or black millennials in any church who are leaving either the church itself and maybe just doing more things at home and choosing to, to not participate in worship services, or they are leaving the faith. And that I think is something that's extremely concerning um, in regards to just how we are ministering to young African-Americans. Yeah. And I want to thank uh, our friends who are already jumping in the chat box. We've got a couple of people I want to respond to, and then I want to respond to your mm -hmm. point. Monique, uh, someone said thanks for the divorce playlist. Uh, that's on YouTube. Um, it's a series of teachings that I've done on difficult marriage and divorce. And I probably get more email about that teaching series than, than anything else I've ever done. I've had several people write to me and say how after watching that series, they were able to have enough courage to leave an abusive marriage. Um, it's, I've had a number of emails to that effect. And so, uh, happy to, um, that you're checking that out. My eyesight is really bad. I don't know what your handle is. Rhythms. Is that how I say that? I think it's rim his rim, his rim, his song. Okay. And then our friend Juad is watching us. He says, thanks so much. My dear sisters watch Nabil's, uh, contents. Awesome. Very interesting stuff. Glad you checked it out, Juad. Um, I'm glad you checked out Nabil's uh, story, and uh, he's uh, he's 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 passed now. He uh, was a young man, but he passed away from some pretty horrible stomach cancer. It happened pretty quickly, but uh, I think he was still in his 30s. But uh, Nabil was a, a wonderful brother in the Lord and former Muslim. So I'm glad that you checked it out. Um, Rim has also uh, had a question: Is what is an elder? 
why is that such a big deal? And I'm imagining what you're talking about is an elder in the church, um, as in a leader Mm -hmm. in the church. Um, In the early church, elders were the ones who, there there really was no um, office of pastor. Uh, There was just elders. There's a multiple leadership model. And uh, the American church kind of, has adopted a model where we really put most of the leadership on, on one, one person, on one man, usually. Yeah. Um, and elders are more like figureheads to rubber stamp the, the, the senior pastor. But in the Bible, there's no office of senior pastor. Um, the biblical model of the early church was an elder rule model where there was a multiplicity of, of leaders in the church. And um, it was not, dissimilar to the synagogue model where they would have the prominent men and this in the Jewish synagogue they I think they had to have 12 men in order to establish a synagogue in a new city and so the idea of it is that the leadership doesn't rest on one person because we know that humans are sinful and we don't want one person to be so in charge that their agenda becomes the only agenda yes and so a a, a plurality of leadership where everybody is strong helps to provide balance and people have different spiritual gifts. And so I actually tend toward that position as being a helpful corrective uh, so that one person doesn't get so large and in charge that uh, their agenda becomes the only agenda of the local church. So I hope that helps you out a little bit, uh, offering a quick take on elders. So awesome. Yeah. Um, bringing that back to black millennials in yeah. the church and leaving. Um, one of the things, because I've read an article recently and you read the same thing, um, I think having multiple people in charge or multiple thought, thought processes available may be something that would potentially keep people in the church. One of the complaints that I was reading was that it is a very male-dominated yeah. system and then that one male in charge is either abusive or um, doing things that are you know, dirty, yeah. <laughs> to say that, uh, yeah. you know, and making offhanded comments toward women. And yet still in this position of esteem, they have all of the, you know, all of the power and things like that. And so, hi, Rebecca. You're Love and miss you too. All right. We're getting some comments there on Facebook as yes. well. Awesome. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, when I think about black millennials, I think that's one of the things that I think I also hear, um, about the domineering stance that happens within black churches. And again, this is just because I am reading and, you know, looking into this, but I'm sure that that happens across all racial groups, across all churches. And in looking at black millennials leaving, they're leaving, not just for like, atheism yeah but they're also leaving and joining like witch covens and exactly the the article that monique's mentioning was in i think it was in the federalist or was it the atlantic Atlantic. yeah and um it's called the witches of baltimore if people want to look it up but it's a short article about how young black women are leaving christianity and embracing african witchcraft and i think that part of this and tell me if i'm wrong it sounded like in the article is uh, kind of young and frustrated with with the black church, but also wanting to return in some sense 
to their historical, more historical roots mm-hmm. of um, African native or tribal religions. Yeah. And so it's, it's also coupled in identity and their identity as black people and wanting to re-identify with their ancestors and their ancestors way. Uh, yes. And there's also this belief that Christianity is the white man's religion. Okay. And that before slavery and before like this um, coupling with white people, we did not embrace Christianity. That wasn't a religion for us. And that's simply not true. I'm not really sure where that started at as a rumor, but it's not true. Um, and oh, sorry, I have hair in my mouth. Um, to say that there were no black Christians yeah. prior to slavery, it's just wrong because even you mentioned the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, I just put, posted a teaching just this week. It's a good opportunity for me to plug that. Mm-hmm. It's a brand new teaching on my YouTube channel about the Ethiopian eunuch and suggesting some resources about the pivotal role that Africans played in the early church. And without Africans, there wouldn't be Christianity as we know it. I mean, some of the church's earliest thinkers, um, St. Athanasius, uh, St. Augustine, were North African. And um, there is this wonderful story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, um, he was a black man and, and God, I think, supernaturally selects him to come in at this pivotal moment in the history of redemption. So I have a, a video this week that was posted where I talk about that. But it, there is a wide perception, I think, just this often repeated mantra that Christianity is a white man's religion. And it, it's just it's just not historically yeah. the, the case. Yeah. So um, that's good. I think... Um, what do you think, I'm curious from your perspective, um, being in and out of black churches, but also being a black woman, like what is your thought about why so many black millennials are leaving? There's this perception about Christianity being a white man's religion. What, do, what other factors do you think go into that? I think, I don't know that we see many young, young Christians who hold to a very historic Christian identity, one. Two, I don't know that it is often presented as something that's very appealing. So you find yourself in your grandfather's church or in your, you know, the church that you always grew up in. And now you're looking for something that models more of, you know, your mode and your style. And trying to find that can be far few and in between. That and... I just think that there's a big push of black identity and identifying yourself first as being black rather than identifying yourself first as being a child of God. And what does that look like? Yeah, that's a provocative way of saying it. Cause I had asked you a few weeks ago, right before mm-hmm. we went on the air and you're like, we can't talk about this right now. Yes. But I said, you know, which do you say it would say is more true of your core identity, your identity as a black woman or as a child of God? And you said, Ooh, I got to think about that. And I'm curious as to what some of your thoughts are about that or what kind of struck you about that question. Well, I think because I wear my color on my skin every day and because of comments that have been made, I tend to think of myself first as a black woman. When I hear comments like, oh, you have a strong personality, things like that, like that often for me ties into my skin color. That feels like a euphemism for 
strong black woman. Yes. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just been, I've received many comments based on my skin and my skin versus the way that I speak or my skin and the school that I choose to go to or whatever. But um, I think for me, because just like you wear yours, I for me, I think that there's just something that is so tied in that it's like when people see me, I think they first see me as a black woman. Mm they don't necessarily see me as a Christian first. And I'm always, or I have been very aware of what I'm wearing and how I'm wearing my black skin and what I'm representing. Because a lot of times being black is not necessarily the positive thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause, um, does it, what do you think about that statement? Do you think that you should think about, yourself as a Christian first or as a, yes. as a black woman first? Like, does that provoke your thinking since I asked you yes. that? Or Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, and I should first, I am first a child of God before I am anything else. Everything else falls under that. And yet I live in a fallen world that is upside down and does not always participate with me in such a fashion. And I think that that's growingly true about people who are white. Like, I, I can't say that I've spent that much time in my life, like, having my thir- first thought be about my skin color. Like, for me, it's a very easy journey to say I'm a Christian first. Mm-hmm. I'm not an American first. I'm not a white person first. I'm a Christian first. And that is my primary core identity is as a child of God. And I've, I've really reflected a lot on that, especially in the last four years. But I think we're in a cultural moment right now where skin color is becoming a bigger conversation and more people are bringing it to my awareness about my skin color and wanting to make that more of a core identity. And I'm I'm trying to push that off mm-hmm. and I'm trying to reflect on, okay, how do I how do I navigate this this cultural moment here as a white woman Christian, you know. In what order should those things fall? Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. It makes me think about South Africa. Um, so in South Africa, you have four major people groups. You would have um, white, black, colored Indian. Mm. And I generally was identified as being colored. Okay. E- even we wouldn't identify me in America as being colored. It's I'm a different just, usage a, yes. of the word. And I'm proudly colored when I'm in South Africa. And, but... I am colored until I open my mouth and then I am an American all the while in either category. I am a woman. And then somewhere along the line, I feel like I'm a Christian. It always comes under those things. And so your question to me of, do you identify first as a black woman or as a Christian? It kind of stumped me because I was like, well, I'm not really sure. And I am, if I'm not sure, I know that there are many, many other people who, despite the skin color that you wear, who aren't sure of, well, how do I identify? Am I proudly American first or am I proudly Christian first? And what does that mean? And how do I live that out? That's interesting. Well, we're, I want to make sure that we're following uh, Facebook and Okay, so we have a Facebook question and a YouTube question, which is awesome. Hi, Amber. I went to school with Amber. I love, love, love Amber. 
She says, hi, Mo. White woman raising a black child. Yes, I, I you know I'm on you on Facebook, girl. Um, is taking our child to a black church more of a cultural experience or a spiritual experience? Don't want to make... Don't want to take the focus off the Lord. Miss you, girl. Biola R.A. Clan. Yes, yes, yes. And I oh, I could shout out to so many people. But Amber, here is the bottom line, in my opinion. And you can also chime in because you're human. Yeah. Um, I would say that taking your son to a black church is a little bit of both. <laughs> it is a cultural experience and it is a spiritual experience. Black church is loud and we are yes, expressive <laughs> and somebody's going to stand up and raise a hand and give a really mean look to the to the pastor and then say, come on, you're preaching good. That's a good word. There's a lot <laughs> that happens in black church. And yes, it that's great. Take him to black church and take him to white church. And take him to interracial church. Yes, because we are the body. And I think that's what I am leaning into more and more is that where you choose to worship is where you choose to worship. Is your child loved? Does he know that Christ loves him and is real and lives in his heart? That is that's what's important. Not did I take my my child to black church because he's black? Yeah, I think one time you told me, I don't even know if you remember this. But one time I uh, I just kind of made an offhanded remark to you of, you know, about you as my friend and saying like, you know, what am I going to do with you? And you just looked at me and you said, just love me. Mm-hmm. And it, it struck me in that moment that there's such a universal nature of the human condition. And again, we're in this cultural moment right now where we're all wanting to like, splinter off into different categories and sometimes there's a there's a need to have a certain conversation about that but we don't want to allow the hu- the universality of what it means to be a human person to be eclipsed either and then we have common needs yeah all of us need to be loved all of us need to be accepted all of us need to know our identity in in Christ and to know him as our savior all of us need to know that we're created in the image of God and these are fundamental human needs that, that don't change. Yes. Uh, one more thing, Amber. And Amber, I am so glad that you're watching. Um, I would say mix up the music. Girl, just don't let him listen to Hillsong. And there is nothing wrong with Hillsong. Praise Jesus for Hillsong. But there are also really good artists that are out there that are a mixture. Like yeah. when we're looking at the body of Christ, make sure that we're a body and not just one scope. If that makes sense. We don't want everybody to be an arm. Yeah, everybody's not an arm. But some people are an arm, and I praise God for the arm. But there's Ty Tribbett, or not Ty Tribbett, he is out there. But that wasn't the person I was thinking about. I was thinking about Travis Green. Um, he puts out really good stuff. And, you know, there's there's just tons of genres. and I enjoy me some good black gospel. I, I know you do. You were listening to it this morning. Bless the Lord. <laughs> I like a yeah. good tambourine. I know. Yes. Please do not let your son play the tambourine. No, I'm just playing. That's wrong. <laughs> That's wrong. Every black church has a tambourine and we enjoy them. Um, okay. So Let's this. See. Yeah. And Juad has a question. He says, my question is, were Jesus's marvelous abilities provided by the father or was he performing miracles on his own? That's a very good question, Juad. Um, Jesus says, 
I believe in the gospel of John, he says that he comes to do his father's will. And so that tells me that um, Jesus does things because that's part of what the father has sent him to do. But he, he also says that he does these things to demonstrate or to prove that who he is. So in other words, I could say, um, hey, uh, Monique, mm -hmm. your sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. But you would have no way of knowing that, that is a, that's a reality or not. So he heals the sick. He raises the dead. He casts out demons to demonstrate that he has the authority to forgive sins, that he's not just talking. He's not just saying pretty words. He's, he's walking the walk. Yeah, he's demonstrating the power and authority that he has. So he gets the, what I like to say is Jesus has power and authority to demonstrate and proclaim the kingdom of God. Having power and authority is like being a policeman. He has a badge and a gun. The, the authority part is like the badge. Some people will pull over their car just because they see the red lights on behind me. I respect the authority or the badge of the policeman and I pull over. Some people don't respect the authority, but they will be forced into respecting the power. And when there's a chase or when there's a gun that's pulled, then they will comply. Jesus has power and authority over sickness, over demons, over death. They will submit to him. And so he does these things to demonstrate that he really does have the ability to conquer death, that he has the key to death, and that he's more powerful than the devil or Satan or any demon. And so when we think about these things, Jesus does these, what you call marvel, he has marvelous abilities or what we call miracles or supernatural acts. He does these things to demonstrate who he is. But then we get this, this third idea that once Jesus returns to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit who then empowers us as God's people with power and authority. And so when you hear Christians say, in the name of Jesus, I do these things. In the name of Jesus, I pray for healing for someone, or I cast out demons, um, or as is more popular in Africa, I raise the dead in the name of Jesus. For yes. some reason, we don't do that so much here in America. But um, get up and walk. Get up and walk, yes. Um, when, when Christians do that, we are doing it according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because all power and authority has been given unto us. Yes, right. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you put all of those things together, we see how it, it is. It flows from the Father. The Father has sent Jesus into the world. Jesus comes with power and authority to proclaim and to demonstrate the kingdom of God and now we, as Jesus' disciples, walk in power and authority. And we who are his disciples, to be a disciple is to be like our rabbi. It's to, to do the things he does, to say the things he does. And we are his representatives on earth until he comes again. So I hope, word. I hope that helps, helps explain things, Juwad. And we love your questions. I can't say that enough. Yes. And that's completely sincere. We always... 
talk after the show about how um, glad we are that you're here. So, um, let's see. Anything else you want to say about black millennials before we... No, but I think that... I don't know, something about it, and I haven't put all my thoughts together on it because it just kind of came to me right now. But something about that, like, with us leaving or the question of um, identity and how do we see ourselves as, you know, black first or as Christian first, and then the identity of Christ and doing what he did and walking how he walked and his identity and knowing like exactly who he was to be mm-hmm. able to do the things that he did. Because if, if Jesus questioned his identity, we might have a problem, but he didn't. He was firm in his stand of who he was. Yeah. And that made me also go back to that, please. Sorry. Um, made me think about our next or yeah, the next question um, of your denominational background. Yeah. Not necessarily because of your denominational background, but how do you identify mm-hmm. um, within this whole <laughs> Christendom and Christian yeah. thought? And we were going to get there anyway, but yeah. I think the, the angle and how we approach it t- for me feels a little different because you said, well, I identify as a white woman and I can see why because you're white. Um, but, but it's not part of it's my identity. It's not uh, part of your identity not really. at all. And when people try to put that on you, how do you maintain your Christian identity first? Yeah. And that just to me leads into what is your background and, you know, how do how do you see all of this in play? Yeah, it's interesting. I grew up, um, I'm in Christianity, there's three main branches of Christianity, if you will. There's the Orthodox, there's Catholic, Roman Catholics, and then there's Protestants. And so you and I were in the Protestant stream of Christianity. And if people want to know more about that, then go to my YouTube channel. I have a a teaching about why are there so many churches? Because it's profoundly confusing, especially to people who are not Christians, but even to Christians about why are there, why are there churches on every corner and why are they all different? They have different names. So when I was growing up, I grew up in a very white, (laughs) um, what we call evangelical conservative Baptist church in Southern California in a very white area of Southern California. And um, it's more racially mixed now, but in, in the early seventies, that's, that's what it was. And um, then when I was in college, uh, I went to a very predominantly white evangelical college. And then I went to seminary and I started attending. My husband and I were newly married and we started going to um, a Bible class where the teacher was a reformed person. He was a Calvinist. I didn't even know Calvinism, like, are those like still living people? I had no idea. I'd, I'd never heard of reformed theology. I didn't know who any... R.C. Sproul or, or any of those people were. I have and one friend who was an outspoken Calvinist. Cal- yeah, you always know who they are. Yeah, just we all, one. We all have one. And uh, so we started looking into Reformed theology really for the first time. My husband and I both grew up conservative Baptist and ended up starting to attend a Reformed church. And um, and Reformed is different than Baptist yes. in that they're more conservative? Uh, they tend to be even more Theologically conservative, yes, and um, they hold to a, a, a view of predestination that God predestines everything, and even our salvation in who's saved and who's not saved. Mm-hmm. 
And we were in that stream for about 10 years and attended a few different reformed churches of different stripes, but they were all had certain um, beliefs in common. And then we, we eventually left the reformed church because we started noticing after being in it for a while, like, boy, there's some parts of this that don't seem healthy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we ended up going back to being Baptists for, um, you know, we're still at the same church, uh, conservative Baptist church where I grew up. And now it's kind of more of a non-denominational church, but still very Baptist in its orientation. But then about four years ago, my husband and I went through an experience where we got exposed to more of a charismatic Pentecostal background, started to appreciate some of the aspects of that. So now we're kind of like low-key charismatics, I guess. Charismatic uh, on the slide. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, my husband's now doing an internship, a uh, pastoral internship at a vineyard church, which is more in the Pentecostal charismatic strain mm -hmm. of Christianity. Um, you will hear a Shonda yeah. every once in a while. <laughs> That's right. Yes. So that has been our journey. So when people ask me what I am, I usually say I'm a charismatic Anglican because I still have very much of an appreciation for the historical nature of the faith. And you'll often hear me say things like, well, the historic position is this. And that's kind of the Anglican in me, which is, oh, what is this? We're, we're a low-budget situation <laughs> here. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me while we repair, while this, repair the set. Yes. Yeah. Put that back up there in the name of Jesus. We just got to tell it to stay put. So, um, yeah, so I'm somewhere in that stream of, of being a quasi-low-key charismatic with some sensibilities toward the historic faith. Mm -hmm. and one of my very good friends is Orthodox, and I like talking to her about things, and I have other good friends who are more in the Bethel stream, and I like talking to them about things. So I try in my teachings to represent all three streams of Christianity to the best of my ability of what is the, the core of the faith that we, we should all kind of be agreeing on. So... That's kind of my eclectic approach to theology. So when I take questions on the show, that's sort of where I'm coming from. So we have... Um, Maybe I would say rhyme his song. Rhyme his now song. Now that I'm thinking about it. All right. We're going to continue to decode uh, our viewers. It says, uh, he or she says, leaving the church implies they were at least taught by of the Lord by grandparents or parents. My perception is that minority families raise their kids in the church white kids have never been i can only speak to you know what i know of me and my friends or my friends and i however you want to put that i need someone else to tell me um is that yeah we are raised with some some form of notice of god and jesus it's a and, it's a strong cultural yeah. value yes um in among the black culture that you have some orientation to god yes and yes. he's he's real and he's watching you and you know maybe on another show you could explain to us some other facets of black culture that i wrestle with of how that fits with a culture that has an orientation toward god but you know i think that 
in white white atheists as a more growing population, you know, but overall as an Americans, there are now statistically we're at a dead even between those who self-identify as no religion mm -hmm. and those who identify as evangelicals. It was, I think at about 30% mm -hmm. and it's, it's statistically the same. And, um, but I think that, you know, the different cultures have different struggles yeah. with, with the church and it's expressed differently. So, yeah. I yeah. Agree. Good thoughts. So, yeah, so that's where I'm coming from. And that reminds me, um, being reformed was actually in the news this week, um, which kind of led oh. to some interesting conversations between us. Uh, with the uh, synagogue shooter. Yes, because he was from in, what is it called? OPC? Yeah, he was in part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church uh, down in San Diego. It's actually a, a pretty well-known Orthodox Presbyterian Church that he was from in, in Escondido. Um, and I we were never in the Orthodox Presbyterian strain, but I knew people who were. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of a conservative offshoot of the of the Presbyterians. It's probably a little over a hundred years old. Um, it came about because of the the rise of modernism about 125 years ago. But um, it is a very conservative Presbyterian um, denomination. And Presbyterians are really just Scottish Christians. Okay. When you're saying you're a Presbyterian, you're saying that you are in old times, you would have been saying I'm a Scottish Christian, just like Coptics. You're saying I'm an Egyptian Christian, Syriacs. You're saying I'm a Syrian Christian. Mm -hmm. um, Presbyterians were originally from Scotland. Now it's all just hodgepodge of European people for the most part. But in, in the original, um, in, in the original historical origins of Presbyterians are just, Scottish, Scotland. Well, so, when, yeah. When we say we belong to Second Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church, <laughs> you're probably black. Yeah, you're probably black. I um, just had to throw that in there because yeah, <laughs> I have no tie to any of the, those other denominations. Yeah. But okay. So Presbyterians, uh, the Orthodox Presbyterians, are just very conservative Presbyterians, and they're they're reformed. There's a stream of reformed Christianity, and um, they. But what's interesting is the shooter in San Diego grew up in an Orthodox Presbyterian church. And just there was a, an article. There's been many articles about the shooting, but there was one in Relevant magazine where they talked about how um, the church was partly responsible for the situation. Hmm. Because in the um, Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, babies are baptized into the church. And so they're looked upon as being in Christ after that baptism and um, that they're part of the elect, the people who are predestined. And there was an interesting quote. Let's see if I can get it up here from, from the relevant um, article. It says, the pastor at Ernest's OPC, OPC meaning Orthodox Presbyterian Church, hosted an open discussion among the congregation the day following the shooting. Ernest's family including his parents and five siblings released a statement saying his actions do not align with their faith or personal family values. He 
posted this seven-page manifesto, and he says clearly in there that he didn't learn these white supremacy issues from his family or his church. But he was a little resentful about that. He really thought he should have. If they were busy teaching him the truth, they should have taught him about white supremacy as well. So then it says, the manifesto's articulate discussion of Christian theology concerns many pastors. He espoused clear Calvinistic theology. And this is the part I thought was interesting. I did not choose to be a Christian. The Father chose me, the Son saved me, and the Spirit keeps me. He explained his salvation was not contingent on his actions, but on God's will. Many pastors see this evidence as evidence that Ernest was in some ways well taught. So what they're saying here, and there's been a lot of conversation about this, is that what is, what is the church's role in what happened in having a radicalized member of their congregation? Because when you're baptized into a Presbyterian or Reformed or Lutheran church, part of the liturgy is that the church says, we're going to all kind of participate in community in helping to raise this child. So there is a collective mindset of what they call covenant children, and that this child is part of the covenant community. And I thought it was a very provocative question, because in the Reformed tradition, there is this, this ethos of we're all sort of responsible. And now the question is, is how did this happen? that this young man grew up in this very, what many would say is very doctrinally pure church, if you're reformed. Like, this isn't some weird offshoot. The Escondido Church is a prominent church in the OPC. So then the question is, is how do you get a radicalized terrorist, evangelical terrorist, if you will, coming out of this church with this pure doctrine, like, and how did nobody notice this? How did nobody, how was nobody aware of what was going on? In his own theology, though, he's, he's, he, he's been taught well. Like, he's, he's telling you all of the, the rote that I learned as a Reformed Christian, that you're saved, you're always saved, and it just doesn't even really matter what you do. Once you're in Christ, you're saved. And there's this, this weird, like, bifurcation that happens uh, between salvation and sanctification and holiness and your actions don't necessarily have to match your identity or your status as a child of God. It's, it's a weird ethos in the reformed church. And it's one of the reasons that we left because I saw so much abuse in the churches that we were in, uh, often in family situations um, between husbands and wives and fathers and children. I just was like, I can't raise my children in this environment. Now, that was just my experience in the churches that we were in. Um, but I will say that in recent years, as more people are talking and the rise of the Me Too movement, there's more and more coming out that sort of confirms a hunch that I had long ago that I wonder how culturally pervasive this is in the Reformed tradition, how accepted it is, because there is this bifurcation that happens of once I'm in Christ, I'm predestined, my life is secure, so my actions don't necessarily have to be holy. It's a weird culture that, that gets created there. So Now, 
with OPC being an extreme, you said it's an extreme version of reform. I, no, I wouldn't say it's extreme. I'd just say it's very conservative. I wouldn't call it extreme. Okay. Because that has such a negative con connotation in our culture. That just sounds like it's a euphemism for they advocate violence. And no, I, wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I wasn't thinking that, that they advocate violence. At least I would hope not. No, <laughs> um, they don't. And, I, in no reform church that I was ever in, did I ever hear anybody ever even insinuate violence toward someone else. That was not part of the ethos. I also am wondering from a conversation we had earlier, maybe yesterday or the day before, where you said that this group, or I, you know what, I could be speaking under correction as we would say in South Africa. It might be from an, the article I read earlier today, but somewhere in this OPC Congress, not congregation, but denomination, there is a thought of like, whites should only reproduce with whites, blacks should only reproduce with blacks, like an, not an ethnic cleansing, but that the bloodline should be separate. Separate, yeah. yeah. And so I'm wondering if that kind of theology is what could lead to the synagogue shooting. Yeah, and there's no evidence that he ever encountered that. That's a view called kinism. And it is in a certain stream of Reformed theology. There is a very fringe stream of Reformed theology called Reconstructionists. Sometimes they're called Theonomists. But in the early 2000s, they were, there was some of them who were advocating a view called kinism, which is basically advocating for a separation of the races. Whites marry whites, blacks marry blacks, and that sort of thing. And that that was God's intention his i say that is not the lord's intention <laughs> i rebuke it in the name of jesus you can get in touch with monique the real monique d she's she's taking dates uh right now uh refer back to our previous episode on christians being single anyways uh so again this is a we're talking about like a minority of a minority of a minority like we're so far downstream here but but there is this 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 element of reformed theology called theonomy or reconstructionism and some of them do advocate for this view called kinism there's no evidence though that this young man encountered kinism well the reason so I'm, the reason yeah. i'm asking is because what i think happened in the article that we read that we were like oh yeah. it's a little sketchy is that that view of keeping the races separate gets then put on top of this denomination. Yes. And then everything kind of collapses. And now if you belong to this denomination, you're bad, you're racist, you're wrong. Yeah. And, and that is some of the narrative that I see happening. There was an article that we were reading earlier today and that I said, you know, some things in this article I agree with, like mm -hmm. having a conversation about race in the reformed church would probably be a good idea. Yeah. Um, I think there could be fruit there that could happen if it was done in, in a in a real gospel-oriented way. However, there were some parts of the article that I said they're just collapsing all white people and all reformed people into this way. Yes. And I'm not prepared to say that because of, in my experience in the reformed tradition, um, I, I never heard anybody ever advocate violence against Jews against blacks, against anybody. I never even heard it insinuated. Well, as a black, so, I do appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. As a black woman, yeah. I appreciate, and, you and know. I think that the parents were horrified. And he, the young man even said in his manifesto, I did not le learn this from my parents or my church. So I think we have to be careful about not collapsing these things too much. 
And talking about collapsing things too much and race and all things black, we, we white, really and did other, a lot on, yeah, on race. I can't even believe it. Um, <laughs> but you're currently doing a teaching on your YouTube channel about all things race. Yes. Well, I don't know if it's all things, but something. It will get there. We will move you into <laughs> all things race. I don't know. Uh, I'm doing. Um, let's see. I have one that I just posted on the question of is. Uh, is Christianity and white man's religion. When I looked at the Ethiopian eunuch this week, I'm going to have another video coming. And then in the month of May for the rest of May, I'll be doing a series on interracial marriage. Yes. And we're talking about that. And then I think I've got a list of five or six other topics. I keep adding to it and seeing what I can rope you into uh, helping me in some of the videos, but just trying to add some, my voice to the conversation, adding some some clarity, some sanity, um, maybe trying to help reduce the name calling a little bit. But yeah. but I'm always about like trying to find a third way. Like let's not make this error and go to this extreme. Let's not make an overcorrection and go to this extreme. Let's yeah. look carefully at what the Bible has to say. So doing my best with that. Some people will think I'm too liberal. Others will think I'm too conservative. Some people will think this this helps me and that's who i'm really trying to speak to so yeah awesome so. i've seen it read it <laughs> yes read it yeah she's um, helping me so yeah i appreciate it um and we are out of time yeah. right we are we appreciate do we have any questions or no, i think we covered everything i'm i'm curious too about your friend with the um interracial adoption situation mm -hmm. can i amber. ask it yeah amber uh amber is quite lovely <laughs> Because I also have a friend who's white and, and has two black sons. And um, a comment that you've made to me in the past, too, is just the importance of having somebody in the mix who is black, you know, to kind of explain certain things to the child about what it means to be black and, you know, that how to navigate tricky situations in our culture that a white parent might not think to share. And I think that that highlights the importance of just understanding where we are as a culture that, mm -hmm. like you said earlier, we live in a fallen world and um, we want things to be in the eternal state. We want things to be in glory, but we're in the struggle yeah. of how do we live as redeemed people in a fallen world where things are imperfect and unjust, how do we be a voice of making things more just, um, but just knowing at the same time we're never going to get to perfection? How do we cope with it in the meantime? The thought that comes to me is that it takes a village to raise a child. Make sure that you're just not living in a homogenous village, that mm. it's or homogeneous village, um, that there are as in the body of Christ, reflections of other people groups, other cultures. Um, if your son has black hair, you know, taking him to the white barber might not work, but it also may, you know, like it may, and it may be fine. But when, when, when I said that to you, I, we were talking about police yeah, and um, the thought that, in my experience, among my friends, my black males have been taught, and like I was taught this, you know, as a black female, even 
your your mother's sitting down and have this conversation with you at some point, especially like around when you're starting to drive and things like that. Like if you get pulled we're gonna sit over, down and have the sex yeah. talk, and then we're gonna sit down and have the race talk. Yes. Okay. Something like that. But um, <laughs> like these are the things that you don't do if you get pulled over. You keep your hands on the steering wheel. You look forward. You say yes, ma'am. You say yes, sir. You do not make side comments. There's no jokes. You look straight forward. If they ask you a question, you ask. Okay. So if they ask you for your license. My purse is on the passenger seat. Is it okay if I reach for it? You just don't reach for it. If it's in the glove box, well, I need to reach in the glove box to get my proof of insurance. Is it okay that I reach for it? I'm going to take my my hands off the steering wheel right now and reach in the glove box. It's a step-by-step kind of process. And I don't know that that happens. My mother never had that talk yeah. with me. And yeah. so this is something that I'm like, you know, you still be aware that you're raising... Yeah. A black kid because, yeah, and that's agree or disagree. I think that some things are just like, you know what? We live in a fallen world and 99% of the police that you encounter are going to be amazing, wonderful people. And there is the offshoot that you might get one who doesn't care for you or has prejudice because of the color of your skin. For sure. And we have to think soberly about both of those scenarios yeah yeah but 99 percent of the time yeah it's gonna be okay it, it is gonna be okay yeah you'll get a ticket because you were speeding <laughs> don't well get, deserved don't get crazy yeah <laughs> yes well we want to thank everyone for watching and joining the conversation we love the chats and we love your questions and uh juad we'll look forward to seeing you again next week yes can't wait to see all of you next week. Thanks so much for joining. Um, like us on Facebook or subscribe to us on YouTube. You can find us both yes. and mainly Krista under Theology Mom yep. or TheologyMom.com to see her shows. You can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify. Yeah, I'm on um, Spotify yeah, now. Spotify. Just, just join. YouTube, um, Apple Playlist, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, she's Google there. Google Play. Mm-hmm. All the things. All the things. Do you yeah. want to donate too to help our set not fall down? Yes, if you want to do- listen, listen, let me keep a real conversation, okay? This is real. Y'all, you can support us. Like, you can go on PayPal and support <laughs> our ministry to talk about real life things that people really don't want to talk about in church a lot of times. And so that the background doesn't fall on my head because that's not really cool. Um, also, like, write in, send a question, inbox. Yeah. What are your questions? If, you, if you're if you friends with me on Facebook, what are some questions that you would never talk about in church and you want a platform to be able to talk about it? I'll talk about it. She'll talk about it. We'll do it together. She'll bring me along. This is true. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. And thank you. High five. We did it. Yes. God bless. We love you. Bye. <laughs>